Thank you for tuning in to the Good News Bible Podcast. I'm Jamie Baker. I'm here with Jay Dixon, and we truly appreciate you taking your time to join us as we open up the pages of the Bible and study and examine the Word of God. We hope that the time that you spend with us is beneficial. We are continuing in our study that we began about the kingdom of God, and we left off talking about the Old Testament prophecies regarding the kingdom of God. We spent a fair amount of time in the book of Isaiah and Daniel particularly and their prophecies regarding the coming kingdom of God. And we saw some different images there that that helped us to understand the nature of that kingdom. Um, Isaiah spoke specifically about the kingdom of God being on a high mountain and that mountain imagery came up a a few times and it will continue to come up through our New Testament study of that. Uh, We talked in Daniel about the dreams that he had and that Nebuchadnezzar had and that God interpreted for both of them regarding the coming kingdoms of God and the the nature of, again, the nature of those kingdoms and the time that the final kingdom, the kingdom that was um, God's prophesied about and spoke about would come and it would decided that it would come in the days of the Romans and we talked about all of that and so we want to carry that over all of that imagery back over into our New Testament examination of the kingdom of God and in studying this uh, I kind of came up with something um, that just helps me to to categorize these things that we're going to be talking about and it seems to me that they fit into three categories. And this is just something that I, I do with everything in my mind. I, I have to lump things into, into categories. And it seems to me that there's the, in the New Testament, the preliminary things leading up to the kingdom of God. Then there's a section where you see it happening, where the kingdom of God is coming into being. And then there's the, um, the time from then until now. And so uh, as we talk about these things I just kind of want to be sure that we're focusing on the on the right category that that we're in the right category there because we'll talk about first the preliminary things leading up to the time where the kingdom is established the kingdom that's been prophesied about is established and then we'll talk about the establishment of that kingdom while it's happening and there's some very specific events that occur with the establishment of the kingdom of God and then there's the the post um, establishment time that's carried us up to where we are now and will carry us on into the future as long as God allows this earth to stand. So I just wanted to uh, give that kind of introduction as a, as a way of bringing us up to speed from where we left off and to where we're going to today. Jay, I'll go ahead and let you say any kind of intro remarks that you want to say regarding this. Well, you covered it really well. Uh, it's interesting as we think about what we talked about in our last study out of the Old Testament and seeing all of these prophecies that are pointing us toward a certain time frame. Certainly in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom. And that's essentially what we're going to be talking about in this particular episode is that time being fulfilled and that this not being some coincidence, some happenstance that uh, the things we're going to talk about just happened to happen at this time just coincidentally, but rather this was part of God's eternal plan. And I really like your your kind of your three points there on how you kind of break that up. I think that's perfect what we need, uh, the type of uh, outline we need to follow as we're studying that this morning. And we think about that because as we, as we think about 
uh, this kingdom and this message being preached at this particular time in the early parts of the Gospels, we can certainly see the past prophecies of uh, this time that we're going to talk about this morning. We can see some of the things that's going on prior to Jesus going to the cross and some of the statements that are made and then getting into the book of Acts and then moving forward even into our day. So uh, I really like that, that idea that you have there and the direction we're going this morning. So I'll let you begin there with... Uh, with what you want to talk about and then we'll kind of go from there all right yeah and so what just kind of playing off of what you said there about this not being uh coincidence this not being happenstance this thing was planned and really that begins to show itself in the new testament very early on even prior to jesus arrival on earth with uh the story of his birth and i don't mean story as in fabrication i mean the the recounting of the details of his birth and one thing in particular uh, in Luke 1 verses 31 to 33 we see the angel come to uh, announce his birth when he comes into Mary to to let her know and and that she's going to be the earthly mother uh, of, of the Lord and just the announcement of that and so in Luke 1 verse 33 he says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. So there again, from the very beginning, even before he arrived on this earth, this idea of the kingdom of God still coming is there, and it's, and it's made known. So all the things that we talked about with Isaiah, all the things that we talked about with Daniel, and uh, is, is playing out. And, you know, we talked in the Old Testament section uh, about this coming in the days of the Roman Empire. And if I'm not mistaken, at the time of Jesus' birth, Tiberius Caesar was in charge. I may be wrong about that. I get my Caesars <laughs> confused really, really easily. But there's absolutely no doubt that historically, and the thing that's, that's really neat about this is that the, the life of Jesus was so significant that time is marked relative to his time here on this earth you know so so our accounting of time our our description and delegation of time is relative to jesus and so we know that based on history and the fact that all of all events are marked relative to the time of jesus living on earth that that did indeed happen in the days of the roman right. empire just as the prophecies foretold and we see it uh, prior to even jesus arrival here in what the angel tells Mary. Mm -hmm. yeah, this was a difficult time for for humanity. Uh, it was a very difficult time for those who were servants of God to, to be living just because of the environment that they were in. And certainly there was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of uh, confusion. Uh, there were a lot of different ideas about, about God and about the kingdom that was going to be established and there were a lot of flawed ideas, a lot of wrong views about this kingdom that was going to be established and the king that was going to be a king over that kingdom. And it wasn't necessarily that Israel wasn't looking for a Messiah, but the type of Messiah many were looking for was not going to be the one who was going to be the king. Uh, as you just pointed out in his birth, his arrival was, even though the prophecies spoke about his arrival and it painted this picture that he was not going to be someone who would be uh, beautiful to behold and 
and all these different things. And then when he's born, where he's born, to who, he, to who he's born, in the place that he's born, it just didn't really add up to a lot of people. So there's a lot of a lot of misconceptions about that kingdom. And I, I really like a point that you brought up in our last study. You really emphasized the fact that when we think about kingdom, many times we think about uh, this geographical location, these borders and this literal throne and all these literal things. And that misunderstanding of the kingdom, I think at that particular time is one of the big reasons we still have a misunderstanding about the kingdom because certainly the kingdom we're going to talk about that here in a few moments the kingdom was established here during this time in the first century however because it wasn't what many thought the kingdom was going to be there's still a misunderstanding about the kingdom today because if you thought that the kingdom was going to be in a certain location that it was going to have a certain kind of king on a literal throne and there was going to be uh, these, these borders and, and all these different things, if that was your understanding of the kingdom, that it was going to be a military, political force, then when that didn't happen, then certainly you would have reason to think that this is still future and you would have reason to believe and think that, yes, this is still going to be set up in this particular place and Jesus is going to come back to this earth and he's going to sit on a literal throne. You would have reason to think that. But that's where the misunderstanding in the kingdom comes about, and I hope we're able to maybe clear some of that up this morning in our study. Yeah, I hope so, and that's why we're, we spend so much time reading scriptures and focusing on those scriptures is because that's really the only place we can have definitive answers about the kingdom or about anything that God has, uh, has revealed to us is through His Word and through what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. And, and I'm glad that you said that about the continued misunderstandings about the kingdom because they definitely exist today. And we're going to see here in just a second um, in the book of Matthew, the forerunner for Jesus, John the Baptist, uh, is going to come uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he was certainly not, if you were expecting a political kingdom, if you were expecting a, um, a, a physical kingdom, where there's borders and a nation and whatnot. This is not the kind of forerunner you would have expected. Just like you said that Jesus was not beautiful. He was not born of um, into, a, in, into a wealthy family or anything like that. He was born into, into a very poor family, very humble situation. Definitely not you, what you would expect for uh, a king. You know, if you see a lot of the kingdoms today, it's, there's a lineage there that's, that's tied directly. And while he is tied back to David in his uh, historically, that kingship of David has not carried down the way you would expect in a, in a nation kind of setting or, right. or a physical kingdom. And certainly, if you were going to have that kind of a kingdom, you would not have a guy like John the Baptist paving your way right. uh, because... John was a. John was was not a, a gentle personality. He was kind of an abrasive personality. I'd love to hold, do a whole one of these things just on some of these these Bible figures and sure. John the Baptist and, and that at some point in time. But John was a John was not a gentle guy. He was very plain spoken. He was very direct. He was very blunt. He was very uh, sometimes even abrupt with people. But as we see in uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, we're told that in the days of John the Baptist, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And 
John wasn't saying this of his own accord because we're told then verse 3 that this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Mm -hmm. And so John came in preaching this very direct message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so we don't mean right now, but very near in the future, very near. So John came with this message being very direct and frankly offending some of the uh, the officials and the, and the people who were in a positions of authority at that time. Uh, he, he calls them brood of viper, you know, you snake pit. Mm -hmm. and, but he comes in saying that, that people need to change, people need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is just about here. It's almost here. It's at hand. And it, that interesting thought this morning as I was as I was going over this this idea of repent I, yeah just for me personally I, you know sometimes we we mix things up I, I think this has been done with the kingdom and and with the church and we'll certainly talk about that some later and maybe even with the word repent uh, I think we always think about uh, this idea of, of turning from sin and certainly that that's the case but it's, think about this word repent and you look kind of look at the definition do some some research on it. The idea there is to change your attitude or your outlook. And I thought about that from a different standpoint because when Jesus when Jesus came preaching this same message after John was in prison, right? In Mark right. Mark 1, 14, 15, Matthew 4, he comes, he he preaches this message saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. And certainly we know gospel means good news. And as you think about the idea of changing your attitude or your outlook, I just think about the difficulty for God's people at this time and how bleak their outlook on life was at this time. You've been waiting for this Messiah uh, for a long time. And the prophecies, the prophecy that's quoted in Matthew chapter 4 uh, that's showing Jesus fulfilling that from Isaiah chapter 9, that's about 700 years or over 700 years. So you're talking about a really long time. You're waiting on this. So your outlook is bleak. When is this Messiah coming? And, and when is he going to come and set up this kingdom and, and be our king? And Jesus is saying, here's some good news. As he's preaching the same message in Mark 1 and Matthew chapter 4, and he's fulfilling this prophecy that was spoken of in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. So they had good reason to, to change their attitude, change their outlook. In other words, I've got some good news for you. The time is fulfilled. This time you've been waiting on it's at hand. And again, this wasn't coincidental. This is happening at the right time, in the right place. All of these things are coming to pass because this is part of God's God's eternal purpose. Yeah, and I think that's that's perfectly said because you know, you see what you said about the um, the the bleak outlook and that we see that even carry over as 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 prepared as John the Baptist was in leading the way as much as he was the fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus even came and said, I mean, this is, you don't get any, any more high praise than this. Jesus said, of all the prophets that have lived, there's none greater than John the Baptist. And so, I mean, John was, was a, a resounding figure. I mean, he was just a, a standout figure in this. But when John was imprisoned for preaching the truth, he even said, are you the one? Or should we look for another? I mean, you see that 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 bleakness even creep into him because of the situation, the circumstance that he found himself in, and of course Jesus cleared that up for him. Right. Um, but 
Uh, that's that's really a good point and, and a really a good thing because what you see in the establishment of the kingdom, and we'll talk about this in a little while, is what you said before. This is a really a difficult time. This is a just a huge transition from the old law to the new law. And as we talk in future episodes of this, we you know we'll bring out these points again. I'm certain that the new law is so dramatically different from the old law. In it, it, it's a hard, almost a hard concept to to wrap your head around. Sometimes, even now, with the fulfillment of the scriptures mm-hmm. and everything, it's it's a really challenging thing to wrap your wrap your head around because we're accustomed to the idea of law and boundaries and these things and the, and the new law was so different from the rigid structure uh, of the old law that it was going to be a challenging time and some people just really never could get hold of that never let go of that system of tradition and and law and of rigid structure and and things like that and right and that makes this another aspect of why this was good news this was going to be a law of liberty a law that was built on on freedom and uh, when you really understood that uh, you weren't going to be trying to earn anything from God but you were going to have a desire to want to worship him and want to serve him in the way that he asked you to yeah yeah and you know going back to what you were saying about this being a long time coming you know over 700 years and but there were still people looking and I mean and that's the really kind of the hopeful thing that you see in this is, is despite the fact that it's been a long time since the prophecies about the coming of the kingdom were made, there are still people looking and there are still people excited about the fact that this kingdom is coming. And, uh, you know, when in Mark 9 and verse 1, Jesus said that they would see, there's some of you here that are going to see this happen. Some of you that are here are going to see it happen. And so, you know, he's given it giving them that little bit of hope that, hey, it's here. Right. You know, it's you don't have to wait anymore. What you've been waiting for is finally here. You're going to see it here in your lifetime. And uh, so that was just, that had to have been for those who were truly waiting, for those who were truly looking, just a really exciting time. And you see that excitement even carry over into uh, after Jesus, you know, leaves and, and reascends into heaven, he says that he's going to come back, and they they have that same kind of excitement. Right. It's like, when when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Right. And uh, and that, but uh, yeah, Mark tells us, or Jesus tells us in Mark nine one that you're going to see the arrival of the kingdom. You, you kind of see these these puzzle pieces going together that that really just paint this beautiful picture of the type of kingdom we're talking about and the verse you just mentioned there mark 9 1 is just another piece of evidence here because you know they've been preaching the kingdom is at hand the time is fulfilled and now jesus is saying you're going to see it in your lifetime and we're in the first century here so if they're going to see this kingdom come with power and we'll talk about what that means in a moment if they're going to see this in their lifetime it's going to be seen in the first century which means it's going to be established in the first century. So we get these puzzle pieces that helps us understand what type of kingdom this is. So again, if you begin with this flawed understanding, this flawed view that the kingdom of God was going to be this this literal throne, these geographical borders, all these different things, then then you are not going to recognize 
the kingdom that's being talked about here. And you have every reason to still be looking for the future establishment of this because it wasn't set up the way that you thought it needed to be set up. But Jesus is clearly revealing some things to us here, the Bible is, that shows us that there's no doubt that this kingdom was going to be established in the first century here. And I just I think that's that's just some strong evidence. And imagine, again, the excitement, like you said, that these individuals, perhaps Jesus wasn't exactly what they were looking for. And so, so now maybe they do still have some of this doubt, but he's assuring them that just hold on. You're, some of you are going to see this, and, and it's going to be exciting. And, uh, and it wasn't, again, going to be exactly what they thought it was going to be. It was going to be rough. It was not going to be easy. It was going to, uh, I believe Paul says, through much tribulation, you're going to enter the kingdom. And that, that was going to be the nature of this kingdom. So to think about it from that standpoint, uh, it manifested itself very differently than what many were anticipating. But it did certainly happen in the first century. Um, today we think about where is the place that many assume the kingdom is going to be established and Jesus is going to sit at today. They believe it's going to be where? Jerusalem, correct? Right. Okay, so the one thing that was correct about that is that this kingdom was going to have its beginning in Jerusalem, but it wasn't going to stay there. Right, it absolutely. Going, it just as those prophecies we looked yes. at. Yes, it was going to... It, it would, in fact, what it said, it says all nations will flow to this mountain. You know what Isaiah was saying, all nations will flow to it. And so that's just that, just that expansion, drawing all peoples to it. And we talked about, you know, that mountain and, and just what that, would, what that would look like with the imagery that's painted for us. Is you've got this huge mountain that's visible from everywhere and everybody's just drawn to it in that, which really is kind of a nice segue into to what we're um, uh, an event that happened right about this time where Jesus said that you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. Right in that same time frame um, in Matthew's account, we see them travel up to Caesarea Philippi. And right after they've gone up there to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus is going to reveal his true nature to his, to his what we call his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And we're told that they go up on a on a high mountain. And if you look at Matthew's account, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 10, uh, 13, Matthew 16, verse 13, when they came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus starts questioning his disciples. He asks them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they've got this varied response. You know, some of them say John the Baptist. Some of them say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So... Jesus asked this question directed, who do you say that I am? So yeah, there's all these varying opinions. What do you think? What do you think? And Peter gives this really famous answer that, again, has been the source of misunderstanding about the coming kingdom. It's been the root of some misunderstanding about the coming kingdom. And Peter says that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so he, Jesus goes on and says to him, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, what's interesting about that is if you look at the, the scene, and again, what you said before about a puzzle piece, is this, this is my favorite part about studying the Bible is when you start seeing these connected things where you never would have expected them before. 
Caesarea Philippi sits at the base of uh, Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N, Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon was a 9,200-foot mountain, and it marked the northern bar, uh, border of the Israel kingdom. Back when the, the tribes were allotted their land, this would have been the northern boundary of the half of Manasseh that was on the western side of the Jordan. So this uh, was marking the northern boundary. And so it's Jesus, we're told, for the transfiguration, he took them up on a high mountain. Well, since they were right there, it makes sense that, um, that this would have been the mountain that he took them up on. And some people say that it was a different mountain, Mount Tabor. But uh, jo uh, Josephus tells us that at this, this time, Mount Tabor would have, at the top of it, would have been a, a walled community up there. So it doesn't make sense that Jesus would take his disciples for this revealing there, but into someplace more isolated. And what historically we read, again, not revealed in Scripture, but if you're tying history into what we're seeing in Scripture, that pagan worship would have occurred. There was a section where there would have been some pagan worship occur up on Mount Tabor, and a section uh, of that up there was uh, kind of a plateau where the headwaters of the Jordan appeared to flow from. And there would have been a sheer 100-foot stone cliff in that region up there. And so if this is the place where indeed Jesus revealed himself to him and where he makes statements like this to, to Peter, and we recount the imagery portrayed by Isaiah, where he says, you are, you're Peter, you're Petros, you're a stone. You're going to do some great things, Peter. You're going to fail some, but you're going to do some really good things for the kingdom. You're going to be a rock in the kingdom. But standing up on this mountain, and I can see him just spreading his arms out and like signaling towards the mountain, you're going to be a rock. But on this rock, Petra, huge, I'm going to build my church. Mm -hmm. And so... It just, the, the scene, just the, the, the place where this happens to occur harkens back to what all the prophecies were. You know, again, pointing to the fact that this is not happenstance. This was done intentionally. And this is the place where Jesus chose to reveal his true nature to them, to those disciples. And it makes perfect sense that he would do that given the nature of what the real kingdom is going to be. It's not going to be a physical kingdom. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom. And so he reveals his spiritual self to them on this rock, this big mountain, this right. Mount Hermon, where uh, where they happen to be. Absolutely. That, that's an excellent That's an excellent thought. I appreciate that. And, and I, I like what's said here in Matthew 16. Uh, as we think about verse 18 and 19, and Jesus certainly said, I'm going to build my church. He goes on to say he's going to give Peter the keys of the kingdom. And as we think about the misunderstanding of the kingdom, perhaps a misunderstanding from the kingdom is associated with a misunderstanding of the church. Because many times, we, if we're not careful, we can associate the church with a particular location or, or, or walls, four walls. And we think about the building sometimes as being the church. The word church is certainly, and we've heard this before, is this word ecclesia means a called out group, called out group of people. So as I begin to think about that some in studying for this, we, we understand if we go back to Isaiah and Daniel 2, this great mountain filled the whole earth. And then uh, it's going to go forth from, from Zion, from Jerusalem. It's going to 
uh, started mountain that's going to flow to all nations and think about all these things. Well, Jesus is calling out those out of the world for a cert certain purpose, for his purpose. So he's calling them out of the world and into his church, his body of which he is the head. And we understand that from passages like Ephesians 1, 21, 22. In other places, we understand that Jesus is the head of the church. So again, we're not talking about a specific location when we talk about church. Uh, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a group of people who've been, who's been called out of the world and into Christ. And those people can be, and those people are all over the world, just like those who are citizens of this kingdom are not in a specific location. They can be and are all over the world. They fill the whole earth. And, and when, when I thought about that, I thought about John 4, 1924, the conversation Jesus had with Samaritan woman. She was asking, where do we worship at, on this mountain or on this mountain? And remember what Jesus said to her. The time is coming. The time's coming, yeah. right. It, it's not here nor there. It's, it's going to be everywhere, essentially, is what he said, paraphrasing. So, and I think that's important that, that we understand again. And, and to me, that's just another puzzle piece of, of the nature of this kingdom and what type of kingdom this is. It's, it's not in a location. It's not in a specific uh, part of the world. There's not going to be this literal throne that's going to be sitting there with a, a literal person sitting on that throne. This, this is a kingdom that has been established and it's a kingdom that Jesus tells us is where in Scripture it is within you, he says. Right. In John uh, John, chapter 18, I believe. Yeah, and just, uh, just one other thing that I want to uh, say, something that you triggered when you were talking about that, them being called out. Uh, it just made me think about the setting where the transfiguration occurred and what had happened at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth, he was tempted by the devil, right? And we're told that in one of those temptations, Satan took him up on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and, um, you know, tempted him in that. And what, you know, my personal belief on that is, I, I can't prove it by any stretch of the imagination is, but my personal belief is, is the temptation for Jesus was Satan saying, I know what's going to happen with these kingdoms with these people I know what I'm going to do to them but I'll back off of that if you fall down and worship me and so I, I for me personally I think that's where the temptation is but the point that I was wanting to make about all of that is the fact that if Jesus did indeed reveal himself his true nature to himself in a place up on Mount Tabor where pagan worship had occurred, then what he was effectively doing was saying, even this is mine. Even this place belongs to me. And he's superseding the authority, any kind of authority that was perceived about that place or any, any sort of a, a um, specialty about that place. He was saying that all of this, all of this is mine. And by having them there with him, he's saying, and you're a part of this. I'm, take, I'm including you in this. And so that's just a really beautiful thought about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom is despite the evil that's in the world, God is allowing people and anybody. He's not excluding anyone from the kingdom as long as they're willing to comply by the rules of the kingdom, be obedient to it. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. That's just really uh, just a fantastic it thought. Is. It's just it a, really a, a beautiful thought that 
that Jesus, not only did he show his superiority over Satan in the temptations, but in all of the events and the things that Satan is behind, Jesus showed his superiority over them right. as well. It's just, it just kind of sends a chill down my spine. It is. It's a, it's a great thought. I, I want to back up for just a moment. I said John eighteen thirty six a moment ago, and, and in that particular verse, he's talking about, the, the again, the nature of the kingdom not being of this world, and that if it were of this world, his servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence or from here. Uh, the verse that I was alluding to earlier was in Luke 17, 20 to 21, about the kingdom being within us. And it's interesting, again, I, I think we get even another piece of the puzzle here, just maybe the same piece or a piece similar to it about the nature of this kingdom as he talks about the kingdom is not going to come with observation. Well, he's, he did say earlier that some of you are going to see this, but then he says it's not going to come with observation. I think in the context of what we've been talking about, uh, what were you looking for? Because you, they were not going to be able to observe the kingdom as this political kingdom defined by physical landmarks and all those types of things with this earthly monarch. It would not be able to be observed in that manner. And then he goes on to clear that up for us. He says it is within you. Again, I think just emphasizing the fact, as you said, it, it's for everyone. It, it's it's filling the whole earth, as Daniel said, and as Isaiah talked about. And, and yes, you will see it. Well, how are you going to see it? You're going to see it come with power. And you're not going to see this physical place, but you're going to see the manifestation of it in the lives of these citizens of this kingdom. Yeah, and it, it's interesting that who he was saying that to was the Pharisees mm -hmm. who were in charge. Right. And so it would have been, they would have certainly not been asking him this out of a desire to understand the truth, but as a, as a line of questioning for him. And when he uh, told them that, you know, that it's, it comes without observation, but it's in your midst, I think effectively what he's telling them is, look, it's right under your nose. All the information is there. You've got everything that you need to see it, just like some people were seeing it. There were tons of people who were following Jesus and going after what it is that he was saying because they got it. They understood that there was something better to this. The Pharisees stood to lose a significant amount of authority, but they, again, were failing to understand the true nature of the kingdom, thinking, again, that it was a, a physical kingdom. And many of his disciples even thought that until Jesus finally opened up their understanding a little bit. But, but yeah, they, he's telling them, look, it's right there. It's right under your nose, uh, effectively. And it's going to happen. Right. Very good thought. Well, that, um, that kind of brings us to through the, uh, the preliminary, the lead-up section. And then, so what happens then in Luke, Luke 24, kind of begins the it's happening now section. Luke 24, verses 44 to 49. And this is happening, this, the scenario here is Jesus has already gone to the cross, has risen from the dead, has remained on the earth for, for some number of days after this. And he's about to reascend into heaven and he's got his disciples and those people who have been following him gathered around and he's, he's commissioning them to do his work, what we call the Great Commission. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. So he's um, 
actually the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So he was saying, look, I know you don't get it. I know you don't get it, but this had to happen. It had to happen this way. And then we're told that he opened their understanding, what we just mentioned. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And notice what he does. He said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to who? To all nations. To all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. So I just, I, I really love what Jesus does here. He says that this had to happen. And then he opens their understanding. And then he tells them again, a second time, this had to happen. And so you get the before and after. You, you get that tremendous aha, where I finally get it moment there. This had to happen this way. Now you can understand now you can understand and finally see it for what it really is intended to be. Not, not he's, you know, he doesn't disparage them for their lack of understanding or anything. They just didn't understand. And he opens their understanding so that they can see this. And then he says to them again, all of this had to happen. And it had to happen for the very thing that John came preaching about, the very thing that I was telling you at the beginning of my ministry, for the remission of sins. This had to happen so that the remission of sins could occur. And now it's necessary for you to go preach this message, this good news, this message of good news, not just to those in Jerusalem, though it's going to begin in Jerusalem, not just to those in Israel, though it's going to begin here, but to all nations. It's going to happen to all nations. And so you need to preach this good news, this message of remission of sins to all nations. And that's the true nature of the good news is because, you know, if we think about what sin is, well, to think about what sin is, we have to understand what God is to the best of our abilities and, and his nature. And, you know, God had told his people from the very beginning, be holy for I am holy. And so anything that, that opposes God or goes contrary to God's nature or his will or his thoughts is sin and so how do I if I violate God's will God's nature how do I repair that well I don't God does but what Jesus is saying is is this is the, the news is that all of those violations all of that the things that have been done in opposition to God can now be fixed can now be repaired I, I can't think of anything better than that how can I restore my standing before God? I can't, but God can, and he's allowing that to happen through this good news, this message of remission of sins. Now that you get it, it's your job, it's your role, it's your purpose to get out there and to preach this message to the whole world. This isn't just uh, an Israel message anymore. This is an opened up to everybody. That, that is good news for sure. I, I appreciate the way you describe that as I, as I was thinking about this this morning even more as I was studying for this particular episode I thought about again all of the all of the pieces coming together here and, and when you really begin to think about it and you get up to what the text you read a moment ago in Luke 24 you just you can't help but see the 
just the magnificence of the mind of God. Because you go back and you put these pieces together. Jesus and John preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, believe you the gospel. Okay, Matthew here in Matthew 4, he, he confirms for us this is a fulfillment of what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. So we, again, we have this 700-year period, something said over 700 years before the birth of Christ, and now Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he's fulfilling that prophecy. So we see that taking place. Then Jesus telling his first century hearers that they would see it come in their lifetime. Okay, so we have this happening in the first century. And then we go back and we begin to maybe think about the prophecies from Daniel and Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 and 3, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and, and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And then in Daniel 2, 35, 44 and 45, the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You know, you start getting excited because you kind of see all this, all this coming. And then you talk about this eternal kingdom that Daniel speaks of there. And in, the, in those days, it's going to flow from Zion. It's going to fill the whole earth. And then Jesus tells his disciples what you just read for us in Luke 24, 46 through 48. And, and you, know, you can't help but just kind of start falling over into the book of Acts and yeah. seeing what happens in Acts 1 and beginning in Jerusalem and then the stories in Acts. It's just filling the whole earth as they're preaching the gospel and this great commission and to me it's just so exciting and we just can we can see the consistency here and the more I study about this the more my faith is built in the fact that the type of kingdom that I understand the Bible to be teaching I have to be a part of I have to be a citizen of is exactly this kingdom that we're talking about this morning and, and one more thing if we go back to John 18 uh, playing off of what you were saying a moment ago uh, Jesus said that if my if my kingdom was of this world my servants would fight that i would not be delivered to the jews and you noted there in luke 24 he said i must this must happen and if it didn't have to happen and i was going to establish a kingdom here on this world in this place at this time in a physical sense then my servants would certainly fight for me and I would not be delivered to the Jews, but he knew he had to be delivered to the Jews in order for his kingdom to be established in the manner that it needed to be established. And again, there's just so much consistency there in Scripture and so much truth. It's hard, it's hard not to be able to get excited about that and see what God's talking about in his holy word. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you were saying uh, there. And, you know, if, if this didn't have to happen, then the way things happened would make Jesus really the biggest loser of all time. I mean, who establishes a kingdom by letting himself be killed and hung on a cross in the most despicable way ever? But the fact that he says that this is the way it has to happen and the consistency, like you said, with the prophecies that led up to this and all of the prophecies regarding Jesus and him as the lamb and as the sacrificial lamb and as the savior and all those things in Isaiah that are spoken regarding him. And you see that all come together like this. And then what he tells them there in, in Luke 24, that you're witnesses of this. Again, consistent with what he said beginning, he says, you're gonna be witness to this. Some of you aren't gonna die before you see this happen. And hey, it's about to happen. You're about to see it happen. And like you said, you know, you just, you kind of want to jump right into Acts, which, which I think we ought to do. I think we ought to just jump right over into the into the book of Acts, and which is really, I, I, I always, personally when I'm studying Acts I call it Luke book 2 it's second Luke Luke wrote both of these things 
Thank you for having tuned in. We welcome your questions and comments to be sent by email to gnbp at protonmail.com. That's gnbp at protonmail.com.